following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, We are in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis is going to be the first book of the Bible. Um, So on the left-hand side, if you have an actual Bible. And uh, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 21. How you guys doing? Man, I walked outside yesterday to let the dog out, and I thought, Lord, who sinned, me or Bethany? Because it was so cold. I thought we were doing really good, you know? Like, I mean, the sun was out, and it was nice, and then the effects of the fall came in. And I thought about Genesis chapter 1 through 3, and I said, that fruit just must have looked so good. So here's, here's, here's where we're at. Uh, Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> if you didn't hear it, Bethany laughed because she thinks that I think, she knows that I think that uh, snow is an effect of the fall. I can't prove it biblically, but it's the same, it's the same theology that I have in regards to cats going to hell. Like, <laughs> I can't prove it biblically, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. All dogs go to heaven. I know that. Like, it's, it's easy. <clears throat> I'm way off base right now. All right. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. Now, if, if you are, are here this morning and you were here last week, you're probably thinking to yourself, he skipped a few chapters, and I, I did. Genesis is 50 chapters, and if we were to go through all 50 chapters, we'd be here for like two or three years. So um, we're going to skip a few chapters, and we're going to make sure that uh, we make um, application uh, to the entire book of Genesis, but we want to kind of pick up where we left off in regards to what we missed. So Genesis chapter 12, um, if you want to backtrack a little bit, you can in your Bibles. You'll see some of the bold headings uh, that will cover several key events in a man named Abram's life. Now, Abram is crucial in regards to studying the book of Genesis. We met him in Genesis chapter 12, and he is 75 years old. And as a 75-year-old, he is called uh, by God, and he's going to be used by him. So if um, some of you here in the congregation are a little bit older, and you're thinking to yourself, God's done with me, that's not true. God is not done with you. doesn't matter Uh, how old you are. God can use you. Uh, Abram was called by God. He's going to leave his home in Haran, which is a pagan culture. By the way, some of you are thinking to yourself, uh, I come from a pagan background, a pagan family, people who didn't know who Jesus was, so God can't utilize me. That's not true. Abram comes from a very dysfunctional pagan family. Uh, He has lost a brother, and he is still going to do what God wants him to do. Proof that God uses the ordinary to become extraordinary for him. All right, so uh, Abram follows Yahweh's promise of land, descendants, and blessing. He doesn't have any descendants right now. And he travels to Egypt as a famine has struck the land. Um, And in, in Egypt, Abram essentially becomes really afraid of what is transpiring because his wife Sarai in the text is said to be a beautiful woman. 
And so he convinces his wife, Sarai, to pretend that she is his sister. And Pharaoh, who is the head of both Egypt as the ruler of Egypt, he's also the religious ruler or leader of the Egyptians, takes Sarai into his house. And Yahweh intervenes in these chapters, and he afflicts Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh with uh, some plagues. Not just Pharaoh, actually his whole entire household is afflicted by plagues. Pharaoh's like, something's going on. So he goes over to Abram, and he says, hey, what's happening and transpiring? And Abram um, essentially kind of brings to light what's happening when regards to Sarai being his, uh, his wife. And he should have been killed, but he wasn't. And so Yahweh, in his sovereignty, lets Abram go, and he's unharmed. Now, that leads to Genesis 13. In Genesis 13, Abram and his relative Lot separate over a dispute they had in regards to land for grazing animals. So this is like a family conflict that happens and transpires. And uh, Lot, we know, is his nephew. Abraham tells Lot he can choose any area that he wants for herds. He picks the fertile plains of the Jordan. Abram dwells in Canaan, which is really interesting if you know your Bible. In Genesis chapter 14, there's uh, wars that happen. And so um, everybody wants to rule the world, right? And the same is true in the Old Testament as is today. And so we see a couple of kings uh, who are making war, and Lot is captured by one of those kings. Abram learns of the situation in Genesis chapter 14. He sends a bunch of men over there, and they successfully rescue Lot as well as a couple of captives. After returning home, Abraham meets a guy named Melchizedek. Now, if you know your Bibles, you're looking at me going, Jordan, you ducked it. You aren't going to talk about Melchizedek, are you for real? Uh, I mean, of all of the Old Testament stories, like this one is the one you skipped? Yeah, I did, absolutely. And I'll tell you why. Because too many people make too many things out of Melchizedek. What we know about Melchizedek is, ready for this? He's the king of Salem. He's a priest of God who blesses Abram. That's it. There's so many people look at it and go, well, this is Jesus in the Old Testament. I don't know. Uh, and some people look at it and go, well, Abram, this is the proof that we should tithe. I don't know. I think you're making mountains out of molehills. And when we look at Melchizedek, we realize that Abram does give him a tenth or a tithe of everything as an offering, but we know that he's a king, and he knows he's a priest of God, and there was an interaction that took place. Keep it simple. I didn't duck anything. I just wanted to make sure that we're majoring on the majors and not minoring on the minors in regards to the book of Genesis, keeping the theme of what the Bible is saying. What does God's word say? And it says that Abram was a righteous man. He does righteous things. We see that in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis chapter 14. And he does things right because he's in covenant with Yahweh. So today, our whole point, all right, is talking about God's promises. What does it mean for Abram to trust God's promises? And then how does it apply to us? And at the end of our time together, I'm going to show you what it means in regards to us as believers today. Because this is a story that Paul unpacks for Gentile believers who are asking the question, same question you're asking today, so what? So what? I'm not Jewish I'm not, I, I don't come from a Jewish background. I don't have a Jewish heritage. Why does this matter to me? It matters. And I'll prove it as we talk about God's promises, how they come to fruition, 
what they look like, and why they're important for us. And all those promises start with assurance. To Abram first, and then to us. So let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Big numbers are going to be the chapters. Smaller numbers are going to be the verses. After these things, after what things? After coming off the heels of battle, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. Now, if you want to, you can draw an arrow that connects chapter 14 to chapter 15 because he's coming off the heels of battle and the word of the Lord, that's biblical language that is often used to describe God's relationship with a prophet. Wait a second, Abram's a prophet? Absolutely. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, he is named a prophet. Enoch would be our first person to prophesy as told by Jude in verse 14. This word comes in a supernatural way. Those of us who live in Western society, we don't like this. It doesn't sit well with us. But we know that God speaks to Abram in this way, in a vision. And it lines up with other visions that were said in the Old Testament. Daniel gets a vision in Daniel 10. Zechariah gets a vision. Um, Actually, that's New Testament, sorry, in Luke. And then Mary, too, as well. Now, every time the vision shows up, ready for this? It is in line with the word of God. You have true prophets and you have false prophets. A true prophet always speaks in line with the words of God based off his promises, their assurances for us. A false prophet is not in line with scripture. So what do we get to do with false prophets? Ready for this? You get to stone them. You get to throw rocks at them, okay? Now, here's three promises. Second part of verse one. Yahweh's first words to Abram are threefold promise of reassurance. You and I constantly need to be reassured. Amen? We know the promises of God, but we got, we got to hear them over and over and over again. First one, fear not. 365 times the Bible says do not be afraid. One for each day of the year. Amen. Number two, I am your shield. I will protect you from harm. Paul says even if they kill me, absent from the body, present with the Lord, still win. Number three, your reward shall be very great in regards to the previous promises that I spoke to you. Now, why would God say that? He just came off of post-war feelings. He's got a little bit of PTSD going on here. There's a lot of emotions that are happening in regards to Abram's life. He has doubts. And church, in his doubts, he calls out to the Lord. Now, I don't know if you caught this in the text, but it says, O Lord, which is Adonai Yahweh. And the word Adonai Yahweh in the Hebrew there, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, is O Sovereign Lord. It is a rare title of God that pops up in the text. And when we see Adonai Yahweh, it was a name said by Jews that was often too sacred to be uttered. It was as if Abram saying, God, I don't understand And he's pleading to the Lord for clarity. Abram's pleading to him. He sees his role as being the Lord's slave. Now, it's a good thing. He has a righteous master, but he still questions how Yahweh is going to keep his promises. You ever get that way? I know the Lord's promises. I trust the Lord's promises, but I have my doubts. Isn't it amazing we serve a God that we get to talk to about our doubts? One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is when Jesus is going to heal somebody and the man looks at him and he says, Jesus, I believe, but I doubt. 
same thing is happening here. Yahweh is telling Abram at age 75, who has no children, who has no children, he's not necessarily questioning God. Abram's not. He's not questioning his ability. He just wants more details. Can you ask the Lord for more details, yes or no? Yeah, 100%. Doesn't mean he's going to give them to you. Are we there yet? Nope. When do we get there? When we get there. Unfortunately, GPS has kind of ruined that, right, for us who are driving kids around. Because they go, are we there yet? And they see, like, up on the front. And they're like, oh, we're not there yet. Verse 2. But Abram said, <laughs> oh, Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, what will you give me? For I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. You keep talking about kids, God. I don't have any kids, and Sarai is getting older. As a matter of fact, she's past the age of childbearing, if you didn't know. So what should I do? Should I give it to a member of my household? Now, to be childless is important for us in understanding this text. To be childless in the Old Testament was one of two things. First thing, it could have been a sign of Yahweh's judgment on people. In uh, Leviticus chapter 20 and Jeremiah chapter 22, it's going to talk about some people who weren't able to have kids because there was wickedness that transpired in their life. Now, those of you who are dealing with infertility issues, don't fall in that camp. Okay? Be very, very careful to jump into that camp. And I have heard stories before of people in pastoral ministry who have looked at people who can't bear kids and say, it is because of your sin. Find another pastor. Number two, <clears throat> it could be, I like this one a little better, an opportunity for God to do a sign or a wonder through that person. In Judges and 1 Samuel and Isaiah, we see all those things happen and come to fruition. So Abram asked Yahweh if Eliezer of Damascus, his chief servant, would inherit his fortune. Now this is common in regards to the Old Testament for couples who had no children to adopt a servant as an heir to take the place of their firstborn son. He's just basically asking, God, since you're a little slow, <laughs> how about I help you out? And he says, here's Eliezer. We could let him be the bank. Now, here's the best part about Abram in his dialogue with Yahweh and Yahweh giving him assurance. Sometimes asking a hard question in prayer is the most faithful step a believer can take. Sometimes we just have to ask God the hard questions. He loves the hard questions. Because while some earthly parents will respond to children, I don't know, our Heavenly Father always knows. Acknowledging our limitations to God, asking for His wisdom, is a better approach than suffering in silence and ignorance. Sometimes God just wants to hear you talk. But He knows everything that I go through. Yes, He does. But he would love to hear it from your perspective. In uh, our house on the refrigerator, I know everything that my kids do at school. I just know. When they get home from a long day of school, I don't look at them and say, hey, at 1010 when you were at math class, um, I bet you that was great. No. I say, how was math class? They're like, oh, dad, let me tell you what happened in math class today. And then they walk me through it. I hear it from their perspective and their point of view. And I love it. And sometimes they look at me and they go, I don't understand why I have to go to math class. I'm like, I don't either. Because when I was growing up, teachers say, there's no way when you get older that you're going to walk around with a calculator in your pocket. And I have one. 
we can ask questions along the way. But as you ask questions, here's the call. Don't stop walking. As you ask questions, don't stop walking in faithful obedience to God's word. The promises are there. Abram understands them. He asks hard questions back. He dialogues with God, and God says, it's going to happen. Just keep walking. Verse 4. And behold, oh, the word of the Lord came to him. We don't know how, whether that was verbally or in a vision or whatever the case was. But he says, this man, Eliezer of Damascus, he is not going to be your heir. You're jumping the gun on him. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, now here, I love this. He says, look up. Look up. Look in the heavens and you and I are going to have a counting contest. You count the stars And if you're able to number them, do so. Because that's what your offspring shall be. Now, the most critical passage in the Old Testament is verse 6. In verse 6, it says, he believed the Lord. Didn't say he believed in the Lord. He said he believed him. And because he believed the Lord, he counted it to him as righteousness. Here's the reassurance. Yahweh reassures Abram he still intends to keep his promises through his literal flesh and blood son. The Hebrew phrase here is really interesting. It is uh, word for word, one who will come from your own body will be your heir. So Yahweh shows Abram the stars as a promise that just as his word gave life to the stars, the same thing will happen with Abram's seed. And Abram is called In Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3, the father of all who believe. He believed Yahweh. He trusted him. He considered God to be true. He considered God to be reliable. And he considered God to be trustworthy, even though the answers were not manifested right in front of his face at the time. Do you believe that? In the season, in the situation that you're in, do you believe that God is true? Do you believe that he is reliable? Do you believe that he is trustworthy? And Yahweh counted it to him as righteousness. Now, this comes up in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 and James 22. Righteousness there is right behavior. Now, this is not which is really interesting, Abram's conversion. This is not when he becomes a believer. That occurred years earlier when he left Ur. Abram's faith is recorded here because it's foundational for making covenant, belief in God's promises. The Abrahamic covenant didn't give Abram redemption. It was a covenant made with Abram who already believed God and to whom righteousness had already been imputed. So what are we getting at here? Scripture teaches in all ages imputed righteousness comes by faith. It's a validation of his faith. Verse 6, he believed God. Calling back to chapter 12, his God and His God counted it to him as righteousness, faith, continual faith. 
Let me take this a step further. Justified of sin, sanctified by obedience. Future glorification because of justification. Now, I know those are big church words for you. But justification is when we look at God and say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And God says to us, I will give you or make you righteousness by being under the blood of Christ. Now walk in that faith. Walk in that. The faith that made Abram righteous wasn't believing in God. It was believing God every step of the way. Yes, there is a start of faith. That is when we're justified of sin. But we continue in that faith. We do not take our faith and shelf it and say, well, someday when I get to heaven, I'll look at God and say, oh, I got that card. Hold on just a second. I want to show you that. No, we look at God and we say, every day, minute by minute, second by second, I believed you. We do not believe in the existence of God. That would put us on the same level as demonic realm. Salvation is by faith alone. And Abram's life shows us that he continually demonstrates his faith, putting that on the Lord. Do you have salvation by faith alone? Now, there's validation that comes verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord. Well, no duh. (laughs) Who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land I possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? It's like they're having the same conversation over and over and over again, right? (laughs) Yahweh's saying he's the Lord. That's a royal proclamation. The Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans is language that will be used in future events. The same thing that is being said here will be said in the Exodus account, but also in the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Now, the reason that's important is both of those will be pivotal in the formation of Israel as a nation. Remember, God uses the nation of Israel to call people to himself. Now, Yahweh doesn't give the land to possess. Abraham wants to know how. Now, this does not lack faith. It's not said accusing or in a bitter way. And here, church... We get how we talk to God. We can approach God with our questions. We can ask him. We can have our doubt. But when we question, our questions should not lack faith, be accusing, or said in a bitter way. He's simply asking for reassurance. And he's saying it so loving. And he responds. Look at verse 9. And he said to him, all right, Abram, here we go. Now, this is a crazy story. He says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old. This is quite the shopping list. Two turtle doves and a partridge and a pear tree. Just kidding. One turtle dove and a young pigeon. Verse 10. He brings all of those things, and he says, cut them in half, and laid each half against the other, But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now what is happening here? And how in the world does this apply to validation? Yahweh gives Abram the list, right? And Abram knows exactly what to do with him. In those days, 
If you were to make a covenant with somebody or a promise to somebody, you would sacrificially cut animals in half. You would split the carcasses of the animals and you would lie one uh, piece on the ground on the left and one on the right. Then each party walked through the animal parts and they repeated out loud the terms of the covenant to seal the deal. Can you imagine if we did this in today's society? Like, can you imagine buying a house with a bank and the bank guy comes over to you and he's like, all right, let's chop up some animals and then we're going to walk through them. As Abram waits for Yahweh to appear to walk through the carcasses with him, which is a sign of the covenant, the birds of prey, which are vultures, appear and they disrupt the covenant ceremony. Now, there's some, some symbolism going on here, okay? This is a symbol of him defending the promised inheritance against future attacks. Now, Abram waits. Yahweh hasn't walked through yet, all right? So this is kind of important. Yahweh's taking his time, and he does that. Church, don't miss that. God takes time. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My timetable is not your timetable. And here's what happens. This should give you great comfort. Abraham waits, night falls, and he falls asleep with a feeling of terror. In great darkness, which in Hebrew, that word means he doesn't understand. Have you ever been there before? I've been there. So all of this dread and this darkness comes over him, and Abram's essentially freaking out why God hasn't done his part. He's like, Lord, I did that. I cut those carcasses in half. I laid them on the ground, and you're not here. Why? I love that he falls asleep waiting for him. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Whoa. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards shall come out with great possessions. Now, here's clarification of the covenant coming full circle. God tells Abram his offspring will be foreigners in a land that is not theirs. That's Egypt. So we see some words coming here. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. Now, the word afflicted, if you want to circle that, is translated mistreated. And it describes how Egypt is going to oppress Israel. So there's some prophetic words taking place here. Now, the Abrahamic covenant with God is going to be ultimately fulfilled in Moses' day. Think about that for a second. There's some things that God is promising that are not going to come to fruition in your generation or may not come to fruition in your generation, and that's okay. Our job is to be faithful. Um, We have 430 years So 1876 to 1446, according to Genesis 15 and Acts 7, for those of you who like uh, Bible stuff, um, they use round numbers there, okay? So um, just remember this, because this always threw me off when I was in seminary. 1876 to 1446, B.C. counts down. After Jesus dies, it counts up. Like, I know that's probably like a a no-duh for some of you, but math is hard, okay? And for the longest time, I was like, what does that mean? Now, notice this. God is not going to bring, uh, God's going to bring judgment on Egypt. Israel is going to come out with great possessions. When is he going to walk through these two carcasses? That's what I want to know. Look at verse 15. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. What does he just say to him? You're going to die. 
Well, that's a great promise. Thanks for that. In verse 15, he tells him he's going to die. You shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. The term go to his fathers is death, and the word uh, here shows up shalom, peace, in a good old age. Now, why? Verse 16. Hang with me here. They shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, we wonder why the delay. Why not just give Abraham the land now? God's reason for delay is that the iniquity or sin of the Amorite people is not yet complete. So what? What does that mean? Church, this is huge for us. What that means is one purpose of Abram's future family, the nation of Israel, was to serve as an instrument of judgment. They're going to be an instrument of judgment on the Amorite people for their sins against God. But... God, in his sovereignty, would wait for them to earn the judgment. He doesn't dish it out until it is deserved. This delay serves as an expression of his mercy and allows more time for the wicked inhabitants of Canaan to see their sin and repent. Now you're like, what? Jordan, so what? Jump to 2 Peter. I'll put it on the screen. Verse 3. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people would think. He is being patient for your sake. There are some people in your life, in your path, that you're wondering, why doesn't God just strike them dead? They are the most unrighteous, unholy people in all of the world. Lord God, impeccatory psalms on these people. Now, if you don't know what impeccatory psalm is, that's a psalm that you pray in regards to casting God's judgment on somebody else. I wouldn't recommend that, all right? But he does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. This is why he's slow. Why don't they just change their ways? Why don't they just change their mind? Because God's waiting hoping that they change their heart. The validation for Abram is to rely on a sovereign God who is waiting for people to repent and call upon his name. And he realizes that he's not going to see that even in his lifetime. And now if I'm Abram, I have so many more questions because God still hasn't passed through these two carcasses. But there's fulfillment. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firing pot. God always shows up in ways we would never ask or imagine. A flaming torch passes between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise to Abram. Now, when the sun goes down, that's after sunset, it's dark. Yahweh revealed himself to Abram with two elements. These are going to connect sacrificial rituals in the ancient world. You have a smoking fire pot, which is his burning judgment on a sinful world, and a flaming sword, which is a symbol of his unapproachable holiness. Both elements possibly foreshadow the cloud and the fire, for those of you that know about the Exodus account. So it's kind of like a little precursor to things that would come. These elements, here we go pass between the pieces of the animals offered in verse 10. And there is a completed covenant. There's the promise to judge the nations and fulfill the promises of Israel. Verse 18, second part. 
to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Camerites, a lot of other ites like Hittites and Pezites and Rephilim and all those names that if you pronounce them confidently, people have no idea if you're mispronouncing them. And the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites and the community gospelites. Just kidding. <clears throat> but here's the important part. He's defining parameters. He's giving geographical boundaries of Israel's land. Israel has never possessed this land in its entirety. But it will when Christ returns as Messiah. For Abram, the message is so clear. In spite of death, in spite of suffering, his descendants are going to receive divine promises. Israel could be encouraged now and in years to come. Exodus, Babylonian captivity, all of those things. That God has made a sincere covenant with his chosen people and the ultimate fulfillment of his promises, despite their times of death and suffering, come. They also can remember that even in oppression and slavery, he will judge their persecutors and those that enslave them as a fulfillment of his promise. Now, you're asking the same question that I asked after I got done writing this. So what? Neat. That's a great Jewish story. If I was a great Jewish kid, I would find much delight in this. But I don't. And so I ask the same question that you ask. So what? Well, first of all, this passage is a great encouragement to us as New Testament believers. Because Yahweh affirms that he will fulfill his promise concerning salvation through faith in Christ. And all the blessings that pertain to true life are found in him. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life in Christ. We have received all of this by coming to know him in faith, like Abram. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us the great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Despite opposition or suffering or even death, he keeps his promise. Now, Paul writes to the church in Rome. And the church of Rome has Jews, but it also has Gentiles. And these new believers are hearing all the stories of the Old Testament. And they're asking themselves, so what? In Romans chapter 4, let me read this to you. Clearly, God's promises to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, that's works, then faith is not necessary and the promises of God are pointless. For the law brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are certain, uh, certain, to receive it. 
whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abram's, for Abram is the father of all who believe, Jew and Gentile, slave nor free. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abram believed God who brings back the dead to life and who creates new things out of nothing. People in Rome were striving to figure out who they were and where their identity lied. And Paul says what Abraham knew, your identity is in Christ. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abram kept hoping. He kept believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abram's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abram never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger. In this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to death because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right, righteous with God. That's God's word. That's so what? What a beautiful passage of Old Testament truth that ties into a beautiful passage of New Testament truth that gives us the complete word of God so that we are able to live no longer as slaves, but righteous men and women, obedient to the Lord in all we think, say, and do. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, what a powerful passage of Scripture. Some of us here believe in the fact that you exist. We acknowledge, some of us even listening online right now, acknowledge that you're the creator and you sustain. We believe in your truth in regards to the fact that it exists, but we do not believe you that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ. That you love the world so much that you sent Christ that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting and eternal life. And for those of you who are here this morning who do not have a relationship with God through faith, may you come to saving grace. May you believe in the words that were given to us so that we may have faith and trust that underneath the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and that we are called children of God. May you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and become a child of God. But Lord, so many of us have done that. 
We're justified of our sins. But the sanctification process is hard. Because the sanctification process calls us, Lord, to die daily to ourselves and conform more to the image of Christ. So God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would convict us of sin. The things that we're doing that are putting up barriers between us and you. And I pray, God, that you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer that sin and to be obedient to you and to trust you in the process. Because a lot of us are gathered here this morning and we're thinking to ourselves, I want to do that. I I really do. But this will happen and then this will happen and then this will happen and this will happen. And so, God, I pray that we would focus on today because Jesus said, today is enough. And tomorrow, will worry about itself. May we be obedient to you today in the little things and in the big things so that we can conform more to the image of Christ and so that our faith may be mature. Help us to grow up to leave the things of this world, to grasp hold of the things of you so that our faith may be made manifest, so that we could see it. Open our eyes and our ears to your movement in our everyday lives as we obediently follow and trust you like Abram did. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.